What's up everybody, Jeremy Weiss here with Weiss Tech Hockey and we've got a really special soundbite tonight. I've had a lot of requests for, um, you know, to talk more about women's hockey and, um, you know, how to coach women's hockey, all that kind of stuff, everything to do with women's hockey. So what we've done is put together a three-part series that's going to go through some, we're going to start with some of the differences between, uh, between guys and girls and then part two, we'll talk a little bit about the development process at the under 12 age groups. And then part three, we'll go ahead and continue on with talking about, you know, what, what development needs to happen, strategic development at the U18 level. And we've got a really special guest. I'm really excited to have him on. Uh, it's actually my father, Stan Weiss. And uh, so he is the one that basically laid the hockey foundation for me as a kid and made it so that, um, A, I was able to have a great place to play. Um, but B, I learned a ton from him in the process. Now, if you've listened to any of my stuff in the past, you've probably at some point heard me talk about um, some of my experience with, uh, you know, with, with my teams in the past and uh, some of the stuff that my dad was able to do with those teams. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a phenomenal program that he put together. Um, and as, as a guy who didn't grow up playing the game, was able to have tremendous success at the AAA level in Toronto. Um, in fact, just before we moved, our, our last year there, before we moved to the States, we won the Ontario Provincial Championships at the AAA level there. So um, it was it was an amazing experience. Um, but Dad, I just wanted to say welcome to uh, Tech Soundbites. Thank you, Jeremy. It's good to be here. And I wanted to kind of let you talk for a bit and just give us kind of a rundown on how it is that you were able to kind of go back to those Wexford Raiders years. And how was it that you were able to take um, having never coached or having never even really played the game um, and take a team at the AAA level to have such you know tremendous success over those years? Well, uh, there were a couple of, uh, of things that, uh, that probably contributed to that. Uh, first and foremost, uh, when I was a young boy, I, uh, living, growing up in, uh, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, um, my first love was hockey. And we had an outdoor rink that was uh, just down this, the, the block, just down the street. And, and I would uh, put on my skates and go down there and play, play hockey, pick up hockey, uh, every chance that I had a chance to do it. Uh, so I, I played. When I, when I got to the point where we were playing uh, competitive hockey, uh, my parents, who didn't have a lot of money at that point in time, they just got to the point where they couldn't afford uh, to uh, participate in, uh, in in keeping me in hockey gear and the expenses of traveling and all of that. And so I, uh, I unfortunately, uh, was unable to continue playing hockey, although right from that very young age, uh, hockey was my first love. So of all of the sports that I pl ended up playing through my youth and into my adulthood, uh, hockey continued to be my love. So I remember even as a, uh, a very young boy, when I was even nine years old, I watched the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, win the uh, Stanley Cup. And I still remember the hockey players who were playing at that point in time. So uh, even though I wasn't a player of, uh, of hockey, I, I felt like I was somewhat of a student of it. Um, and, and, and as I played other sports, and I ended up uh, playing Division I football in the United States at Utah State University, and, and I, I found that, uh, that as I played other sports, um, that there were a lot of synergies and similarities in terms of strategies, techniques, training, etc., that really crossed over from one sport into another. Uh, when I uh, ended up being a, a young father, 
uh, I just looked forward to the day that my uh, my my son could uh, could go to the hockey rink and play the sport that I loved uh, so dearly as a child and was uh, was not really able to pursue. Uh, so Jeremy uh, started playing hockey at the age of, uh, of four and then organized hockey when he was five. And I began coaching Jeremy when he was six and then ended up uh, coaching uh, him and his Wexford Raiders AAA hockey team until uh, uh, we moved away from Utah when I think Jeremy was 14 years old. Yep, that's right. So uh, the, the, uh, the things that I found, and one of the inspirations for me as, as I uh, began coaching at very young, young age groups and first in select hockey or house league and then selects and then, uh, and then double A and then eventually triple A, uh, I, was, uh, I was very aware uh, of, of some of my uh, inadequacies for not having played the game a lot. And, and so there were some things that uh, intellectually I understood about the game, but, but when it came down to, uh, to actually demonstrating some of the drills, I felt that I was uh, not as capable of being effective as, as I could have been. Uh, but when I was uh, playing football, the most uh, effective football that I had at the collegiate level uh, was a, a, a head coach who was... Uh, Grand total of five foot six inches tall, and uh, if he weighed 140 pounds, I'm probably exaggerating. And he had never played a down of football in his life, and yet he was the most outstanding coach uh, that I ever had. And I learned more about football from him than I learned from uh, all of the other players. And at one point in time, I had a uh, a coach who was actually uh, a, a, a professional football player. And, and I certainly still learn more from, uh, from Dunleavy than I learned from anybody else. So, so that, uh, that kind of inspired me that, uh, that if I were, was aware of my weaknesses, uh, that I could, uh, if I'm a good head coach and a good manager, uh, that I could find ways to uh, fill the needs uh, that I felt that I was lacking as a coach. And so I uh, uh, ended up uh, getting hiring or bringing on board assistant coaches and skills development instructors uh, who actually had the abilities that I didn't think that uh, that I could teach as as fluidly as what they could teach. So the the thing is understand your weaknesses and then compliment. Surround yourself with people who are strong where you're weak. Where you're strong, you don't need other coaches that are strong in the same area. In fact, when that happens, usually you end up having conflicts more than, than a synergy uh, developed between you as coaches. So I, uh, I had a lot of confidence uh, in my understanding of the intellectual aspects of hockey. I felt like I also, because of the extensive experiences that I had playing uh, other sports at a very, very high level, uh, right up to the professional level, uh, and uh, and I felt that I could uh, could motivate and and uh, and engage the team to do what I wanted them to do. Uh, the key to coaching is twofold. First is uh, you know you, you need to teach them what the correct things are to do. Uh, if you're teaching them different systems, then it's to teach them what systems and what behaviors you want from them on the ice. The second part of it is to actually get them to do it. 
and I felt that I was fine, uh, particularly in motivating them and inspiring them to uh, to be able to achieve the highest that they could be, uh, and and by filling in the gaps with uh, with other people around me, uh, we were able to enjoy some tremendous success. Uh, I think we won uh, over the course of uh, one one six year stretch. Uh, we went into uh, twenty six, I think, major. North American hockey tournaments uh, against some of the best AAA competition in the world. And out of those 26, I think we won 21 of them. Uh, we won a world championship, came second to the, uh, uh, to the Russia Red Army elite team. In another world championship, we won uh, numerous uh, Metro Toronto Hockey League championships. We, just, we were able to enjoy a lot of success. Uh, the key to the success was continuity. Um, if you can keep the players learning the same systems, um, the l same terminology, uh, where they can build on the expectations and a plan for success and a plan for, for the future, uh, then your chances uh, for being successful are going to go up exponentially. So I hope that uh, you know, helps in terms of my background a little bit. Um, uh, you know, the topic for today is uh, mainly the differences between boys and girls hockey. Uh, I, I think I'm actually somewhat of an expert in girls hockey because I've got four daughters, one son who plays hockey and four daughters. Uh, the oldest daughter is 30 years old, and the youngest is 17. So, so I certainly have, uh, have been around and witnessed firsthand as both a father and as a coach uh, what the differences are between uh, women uh, women or girl hockey players and boy players and, and the differences in the development needs of each. Absolutely, man. Um, you know, I, I appreciate it. Even if we ended there, I think that's a lot of wisdom that we could, uh, you know, that our listeners will be able to take away and put to use right away. Um, one thing I, I wanted to just kind of expound on is as you were bringing in these top-notch skill instructors, um, not only were they teaching the players, but one thing that I, 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 remember you doing is really paying attention to how they were teaching, what they were correcting, what they were looking for. So not only were we learning as players, but you were learning how to correct and, and um, you know, become an excellent skills instructor yourself. Uh, didn't, didn't necessarily help your demonstration, which uh, <laughs> it came in handy to have me around as I got older. Um, but, you know, as far as somebody able to pick apart a stride, look at it and be able to tell what's going on, um, you went from, you know, from point A to point Z um, over those years, being able to, you know, rub shoulders with some of these top-notch skills instructors and have them teaching your players while you're paying attention to what they're teaching. Um, so yeah, really good stuff already. Um, so yeah, a lot of people probably don't realize this, but I'm the only boy. Uh, I have four younger sisters. And since my playing days have been done, you've, you've dabbled a little bit in, in, uh, uh, ACHA men's hockey, um, at, uh, BYU, but you've also spent a ton of time working with, my younger sisters, your daughters. Um, so, you know, over the past 15 years, you've done a ton of women's hockey and uh, was even, uh, in fact, presented, uh, you presented at the USA National, sorry, the USA Hockey National Women's Hockey Symposium in, in Connecticut just, uh, it was, what, about a month and a half ago, something like that? Uh, yeah, it was last month. I wasn't last actually month. a presenter. I did participate in the uh, symposium, uh, invited to attend that. Okay, great. Well, um, let's jump straight to it then. And uh, the first thing I kind of wanted to point out, and maybe you can expound on this, but when people start talking, you know, men's versus women's sports, they always like to really think about the differences. But I like to start with the similarities 
Um, you know, the very first thing I, I think of when I'm, you know, trying to think about, you know, women's hockey versus men's hockey is there really aren't as many differences as people like to think there are. Um, the game's still the same, positioning's still the same. Um, most of the time, strategy's still the same for the most part in terms of on ice strategy, when to use what system, when, when not to use what system. Um, you know, as far as, you know, uh, off ice training, people always ask, you know, well, is this program good for women as good as it's good for men? Um, and you know, it's the answer is yes. The muscle groups are still the same. The energy systems are still the same. Training is still the same. Um, it's the same sport, but there are definitely some differences. There's, you know, there's obviously size differences, um, different things that we'll be touching on as we go through this, um, you know, this three part series, but you know, I kind of want to leave it in your court a little bit. What, what, what do you say to that? You know, what's the very first thing that kind of comes to your mind when somebody talks about, um, you know, women's hockey or what are the differences between men's and women's hockey? Um, well, uh, the, probably the best thing uh, that I can, can add as an overview to that uh, is that uh, most girl hockey players, uh, they want to be viewed by their coach as a hockey player first and as a girl second. And, and it's, a, it's a little bit uh, uh, like a comparison. Uh, you can be a student athlete, which means you're a student first and an athlete second. You know, or you can be an athlete who's also a student, which, uh, you know, is a change in your priorities where, you know, athletics is the most important thing to me. And I also uh, study enough to uh, graduate, but that's not my first priority. And so I think it's very important as you approach girls and women uh, in, as a coach that you treat them first and foremost as a hockey player. And, and then uh, beyond that, recognize that there might be some, uh, some differences that you ought to be aware of and mindful of and respectful of uh, as it relates to uh, the differences between girls and boys. Great. So let's start with the game itself then. Um, obviously, the game itself, there's a, a, a few different rules. Um, the main one that comes to mind in terms of game, you know, affecting the gameplay is no checking. Um, you know, one thing I think is very important to mention is especially like when you're watching high levels of play NCAA hockey or, you know, the Olympics, um, no checking doesn't mean no contact. There's still definitely body contact involved in the game. What do you teach your girls with respect to body contact? Uh, I teach them that, uh, that basically, uh, body, uh, position is, uh, is even more important in body contact than it is in body checking. Uh, the, the biggest difference, and, and, and this is a very common area of confusion, what is the difference between body checking and body contact? Uh, body contact uh, just merely means that, uh, that you do not initiate the hit. Uh, so if you think about body contact, the puck carrier is bringing the puck towards you. If I stop suddenly and the person hits me, that's body contact. Um, and, uh, and, and if I, uh, you know, take two strides forwards and hit the person, that's body checking. And so uh, body contact is allowed in women's sport. And uh, the differences are that uh, if I'm able to go uh, on the attack and move forward and actually body check, uh, I don't have to be quite as precise in my body position as I have to be in body contact. So when somebody moves, it's a little bit more like in basketball. Uh, you know, if I can get my body position in front of the ball, you know, the, uh, the, the ball carrier in basketball, uh, then it's an offensive charge. Uh, well, that's what you have to do 
in terms of body contact. If you don't get your body squared up and directly in front of the attacker, uh, then they're going to be able to move around you um, because you cannot initiate the hit. You can only accept the hit. That makes a lot of sense. Um, in fact, we actually touched on this a little bit with we just we just finished up a series on uh, men's league tips, and obviously most men's league that uh, that most of us are involved with is is non contact or non non check no check men's league, and one of the problems you see all the time is defensemen not knowing how to play a one on one if they can't make a hit, and so you see a lot of problems. You see you see defensemen you know spreading their arms out. You know they've been taught to try to get as wide as possible, and then they're swiping. Um, you know, you see, you see defensemen trying to play the puck because they don't realize that, you know, you're still allowed to accept the hit. You're still allowed to play the body. You just can't drop the shoulder and, uh, you know, and, and you just can't, I, I describe it as you just can't have the pop at the end. You can angle a guy off into the boards or, you know, as we're talking about women, you can angle the player off into the boards. Um, you can stay in front of them on a one-on-one. You can still play the body on a one-on-one. You just can't finish with that pop. And I think, you know, I think that that goes, I think that gets lost in the wash sometimes with, uh, you know, with coaches and with players in women's hockey is they think, well, it's, it's no check. That must mean it's no contact. And so they're trying to do everything with the stick as opposed to still playing good body positioning, still proper angling. No, I still, uh, with women, I probably do as much, uh, uh, work turning the stick over and making, making sure that they don't use the stick when they're, when they're checking. Um, biggest, probably one of the biggest differences is that, uh, whereas in men's hockey, it's a pretty good strategy. If you have some, uh, back, back checking support to stand somebody up at the blue line. So you can time out your hit so that when the puck carrier hits the blue line, that you can meet him at that point in time and, uh, and give him a body check. Um, obviously that's not permitted in women's hockey. Uh, and so what I've encouraged the women to do is uh, back up until they get the, the puck carrier gets into the shooting zone. And in the shooting zone, pick your spot, watch, watch for the, the sign when you can put on the brakes and let them come forward into you where you can uh, separate them from the puck. That makes a lot of sense. In fact, that actually leads right into our next, uh, our next difference is the physical differences. Um, one of the biggest physical differences is a noticeable shot strength difference between men and women. And, uh, you know, this is one of those things that's, it's not opinion. This is fact. Um, you know, and so you go, you go through and, and one of the things that what you just said with how to play a one-on-one is if the shot isn't going to be as heavy, um, then the player needs to get closer before the shot's actually a threat. So you don't have to actually stand the player up at the blue line, which a lot of coaches teach. You can afford a little bit more of a buffer zone and let them walk into the high slot a little bit more before it's actually a threat because of the difference of, of shot weight. Um, so what, what other considerations would you say um, as far as you know, things we should be aware of in our coaching or even as players? We do have some players that listen to this. What things should we be aware of um, when we factor in that difference in shot strength? Um, well, uh, let, me, let me just uh, talk about a generality. Um, my experience in uh, in working with women over the last fifteen years or so uh, is that uh, that that women are actually um, more inclined towards uh, picking up hockey systems than boys of a similar age. So they seem to have the mentality for it more uh, readily than do girls. However, 
some of the physical aspects of the game. Uh, if you're trying to refine uh, certain aspects of uh, skating strides inside Mohawks, things of that nature, um, technical skills, then uh, the girls seem to, uh, to to require more repetitions and more work uh, than comparably aged boys do. Uh, and and uh, that's a difference that I have found that when it comes to uh, to shooting, that there is just flat out no substitution for repetitions. And the girls have got to get a lot of shots. They have to be shown and taught the proper techniques. They've got to go right back to the basics, uh, help them, uh, you know, from wrist shots to snap shots to slap shots. And, uh, and, and, and you've got to put a, a, you know, a barrier in between them. My, one of my techniques that I like to use for the girls so that they can get, uh, you know, a hundred or 150 shots in a game is to do it cross ice with a player. And the goal becomes the stick for the other player. And so, uh, what you do is, uh, is you start, uh, uh, you know, first with, with wrist shots and backhand shots uh, from relatively close together, and then you spread out and spread out. And we practice in uh, in an Olympic-sized rink. So by the time you get full width, uh, you're a pretty good distance for working on your snapshots and slap shots. I like to uh, put a, a line of hockey sticks uh, in the middle of the ice so that you can teach uh, uh, the girls to uh, also get uh, get the puck up in the air. And and uh, and teach them how to do that. Uh, girls versus boys. Boys seem to uh, learn how to raise the puck at a much much younger age, and they can do it with more control and more consistency. And so, one of the skills that will differentiate a good hockey player in women's hockey from a great hockey player are those who are able to perfect, uh, you know, the the raise, the in close up tight. Uh, raised shot. So one way to start that is just by putting sticks in the middle of the ice and forcing them to uh, get used to what is required in terms of the angle of your stick and your follow through to be able to get a raise on the puck as, on, on your shot. Uh, so repetitions, lots of shots, teach the girls the proper technique and then let them do it for a significant part of, of practice. Um, I like to dedicate uh, uh, during training camps at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, designate as much time as you possibly can to getting repetitions and shooting. I like it. Um, you know, I was I was actually going to mention you mentioned it already, but the girls that have the harder shots have a huge advantage in girls hockey, especially. And it's not just because they've got the hard shots and the accurate shots, but it's a, it's a double edged sword because there's goalie considerations in there as well where, you know, the goalies aren't used to fielding the harder shots. And so all of a sudden it's like, it's like you've been being thrown change-ups all day long and all of a sudden you get somebody who can throw a fastball. And it's just, it's a completely different, um, it's it just, it's a completely different reaction time for, you know, for one player to the other. Yeah. And like you mentioned before, uh, if, uh, particularly on the blue line, if you don't have defensemen on your opposing girls team who has a good slap shot, uh, then you can uh, use your defense to sort of collapse back and create a box Clog that is really, really difficult to penetrate. Uh, but, if, but if you've got somebody who's got a, a really strong slap shot, uh, then you have to get out and defend it. You can't just back off. And they're a threat. 
Yeah, and at least in this point, at this point in in most of the women's hockey I've seen, even you know, as I I mentioned this on one of my previous sound bites, but even watching the the Olympic women's team, you can tell there's only maybe maybe two, maybe three players per team that actually have some meat on their slap shots or on their on their one timers. You know, we we talked about this a little bit. We saw. Um, you know, we saw a lot of missed pucks, you know, off one timers where the puck glances off the stick and then kind of fumbles off into the corner. Um, so that's where I, I always like to look for areas where, where my players can gain an advantage. And in women's hockey, I, I love what you're saying because shot strength is one area where you can gain a huge, huge advantage. If you've got players on your team, um, you know, who can control a heavier shot. As a, as a coach, uh, if you're coaching women, uh, pay attention to some of these details because uh, because uh, with women, women are much more oral than they are visual. Uh, boy players in general, they learn from watching and imitating. Girls uh, have a tendency to learn better from listening. And, uh, and so what, what happens, one of the, the, the best women's hockey players uh, in the under-19 group in, in the Western United States uh, uh, plays for me right now. And, and she was having a lot of troubles at one point in, uh, in getting uh, any kind of power on her uh, snapshot and slap shot. And, and so I watched what she was doing carefully, and her lower hand... Uh, was positioned on her stick in a stick handling position and typical of the spacing that you would use for a wrist shot. And and all I did is point out to her that she needs to, when she's doing a slap shot, drop her lower hand down about six or eight inches and that she will be able to get <clears throat> much better leverage and power on her shot. And it made a world of difference. Um, so there are small things of a technical nature that you need to watch for and don't take them for granted like you uh, probably would with, uh, with, with boy players when it comes to some of these finer points of shooting. So be specific. Be very specific and verbally explain it. Very, very specific. Got it. Um, another physical difference that's you know, an obvious difference is a size difference. So, you know, you mentioned that, uh, especially here in Utah, we play most of our games on Olympic sh- sheets. In fact, I don't know if there, there might be one rink left that's not Olympic size here in Utah. Um, so if you're talking, uh, you know, the size difference between, uh, between men and women, and then factor that into a bigger ice sheet like we play on, um, there's going to be, you know, you're going to find a lot more space on the ice. Um, than you might in a, you know an adult you know compare an adult women's league game to an adult men's league game and you're going to have a, a a lot more space in the women's game than you will on the men's game just because of the size difference of the players. So what you know would you adjust anything for your coaching because of that? Would would there be anything you would want to focus on more because of that? Uh, yeah, we we uh, we like to work on puck control. So. Um... Dump and chase is uh, is is something that we really don't use as a as a key uh, style of play at all with the, with our girls teams. Uh, we use them as a tactic or uh, or a late in the game strategy. Um, the the ice is big enough that uh, that in almost all circumstances uh, it's much much better to control the play. 
even if you get uh, close to the blue line and you can't get a clean access into the offensive zone, then we will reverse field and and uh, go back and uh, do a regroup and, and try attacking the other side if we need to. Uh, but uh, on the large ice, once you get the puck, if you have uh, good systems and good skills, it's going to be very hard to get that puck away from you, particularly when you cannot do body checking, right. which is the best way to separate a, a, a woman from the puck or a man from the puck. And, and so, uh, yes, a much more controlled game. Um, when we get into the offensive zone, rather than just throwing the puck in front, if you run out of options, we do a lot of puck control work where we will cycle, we will do reverses, we will do uh, uh, misdirections uh, or quick turnbacks. Uh, a lot of techniques for being able to uh, maintain control of the puck until you can get one of your players open for a, for a clear shot. So the passing game becomes a lot more important then. On, uh, when you, the more space you have, the better passing game you can afford to have. That's correct. When, I remember when, when we were, I was probably, gosh, I was probably about 10 years old. And uh, you brought up the, the topic for us of what moves faster, a passer or a, or a skater, right? We, we had had some trouble with, uh, you know, players wanting to carry the puck themselves as opposed to headmanning the puck. And I remember it, uh, it really had never been explained to us before, but you asked us, what, what's fast, what moves faster, the puck or a player? And, you know, we didn't really know how to answer. And so you said, okay, well, who's the fastest player on the team? And so the team picked a player. And uh, you said, okay, well, you're going to race the puck. So we had one. You, I don't know if you even remember this, but it's stuck in my mind. You had one of our players pass a puck, like a, like a pass, but across a, a length of the ice pass. So pass the puck to the other end of the ice. And uh, the other player was trying to race the puck to the other end of the ice. And, and it was just, it was such a mind-blowing visual for me at, at 10 years old that I realized there's, there's no way I will ever keep up with a pass. There is no way. And so there's no way the other team will ever keep up with a pass. And if we can pass it properly, pass it accurately, and move the puck up the ice with passing and with structured positioning, then there's nobody that's ever going to be able to keep up with us. And I, re I don't know if you even remember, like, like I said, but that was it, yeah, was, I remember uh, that. Yeah. it was a very, uh, very good visual for me. And I'm just thinking about this in, in the women's game, just thinking the same thing. You know, like you've got smaller players, a lot more ice. That puck can move fast. You can float players out. You can send players flying out. Um, you know, if you, if you get good at reading the transitions, you can really have a lot of fun with, you know, sending a player flying and then just headmanning the puck all day long. Um, so, okay. So I think, I think that covers most of the physical differences in terms of the men's and women's game. Um, now I want to go to personality differences. Now I realize that this, this could be a topic that I could probably get myself into trouble with. Um, maybe a bit of a sensitive topic, but these are, you know, I want to just be clear that these are general observations based on, you know, years, uh, basically your years. I'm not trying to claim I have years, um, of working with women athletes. So anything, you know, obviously there's always going to be, you know, different personalities and everything else. But, you know, I think some of the things that we've already talked about are, you know, they're just, they're just matter of fact. And so we're going to continue on with this part. Um, we already talked a little bit about girls being more verbal uh, than visual. And so we need to be, as coaches, we need to be very precise in our instructions with, you know, how we explain systems, how we explain, even, even if you misspeak and accidentally say the wrong thing, I've noticed, you know, just with working with uh, the teams you've coached sometimes as, a, as an assistant coach, um, they take it very literally. And so you misspeak and you say the wrong thing, they'll, they'll do it. They're very good. Like you said, um, you know, women tend to be better at 
listening to the instructions and following the instructions. Um, so, you know, I don't know, would, would there be anything else you would want to add to that as far as the verbal versus visual? Um, no, I do. I, well, yes, actually. The, and, and, and it's uh, something you've already touched on. And that is uh, when you're teaching, whether it's systems or skills, uh, but I find that particularly with skills, if you're trying to teach how to do an inside Mohawk, um, you have to become very, very precise. So you talk about, you know, with your lead foot, glide, back foot, lift it up, heels together, lean, turn, etc. And so by, by describing it, uh, you know, I, I, I refer to it as the, uh, you know, the, the, the going from the parts going from the whole to the parts to the whole again so that you start with the full demonstrating the full skill then you break it down into its parts the components and with women in particular they really uh, seem to be able to visualize it through your verbal descriptions uh, rather than the demonstration itself with guys you basically say watch visualize and imitate uh, with women you need to be very precise and describe and then demonstrate it in its parts. And so you start with the whole part whole and, uh, and then they seem to pick it up very readily and, uh, and very effectively. Now just a side note on that, it just kind of reminded me, um, my wife, Julie, when she, she didn't play as a kid either. She started playing a little bit as an adult after we got married. She figured if you can't beat them, join them. Um, but she, she tells me all the time she prefers learning from you than from me. Because you verbally you explain it better than I do, whereas I rely more on you know demonstration skills than than verbal. I try to explain it, but I figure you know just watch, visualize, and imitate, and you'll get it. Um, so that's a, I think that's an interesting thing and, and a case in point with with my own wife who um, would prefer to learn learn from my dad than me, for the for me. Um, so let's go let's go with the next uh, you know I guess we kind of talked about a little bit of a list of just some personality differences that we might might want to consider. Um, as we're considering the differences between guys and girls. And I'll let you, you have the list in front of you, so I'll let you kind of work through that. Um, you know, just let's just kind of work through it as we go. And, you know, maybe maybe I'll stop you here and there to chime in my two cents worth, but I want to kind of leave this one in your hands. Well, the uh, I, I, we alluded to this a little bit earlier. I think that uh, girls at a similar age uh, learn systems faster and more thoroughly than the boys, and in fact, they enjoy it more. Uh, they actually love the camaraderie, the teamwork of, of, of using systems. So, you know, they love, they love having breakouts that involve all five players on the ice, you know, go D to D to winger to, to center and then to the weak side winger. They, they, they're, they're very attuned to that and they love it. They learn it very quickly and they will execute systems uh, very precisely uh, and uh, compared to the boys, much more precisely. Uh, but when it comes to physical skills, it's the opposite. Uh, if you try and learn a, uh, a two-skate uh, two inside-edge stop, uh, and the girls have not learned that before, it can take much, much longer for them to master and perfect that, or an inside mohawk, or a reverse pivot. Um, those things, for some reason, or, or like we've talked about before, a slap shot. Um, that you're going to have to spend more time working and getting repetitions in the physical skills 
uh, with girls than you would for the same age of boys. Uh, and the opposite is true in terms of systems. The girls learn the t systems much faster. Uh, another thing which is, uh, which is interesting when it moves away from the, the actual development component is that uh, I have found that, that girls are uh, more affected by some of the social aspects of the game. And uh, from a positive standpoint, um, you know, if there's a, uh, a lesser experienced or lesser skilled player, uh, if, the, uh, if that girl is well liked by the other teammates, um, then, then the girls will actually be rooting and, and encouraging her uh, to play more and to play better, even if it, uh, even if it hurts the team. Uh, where, whereas uh, in in boys hockey, and I'm uh, you know clearly speaking about competitive hockey here. I'm not talking about house league, but in boys hockey, most of the boys players just they no matter how much they like the player, when it comes to uh, playing the game, they have very little tolerance for for a teammate who is uh, is not able to keep up with the uh, the rest of the players. Can't function. Yeah, that's not going to fly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They, uh, they're, they're also, I think, uh, uh, there's a, a bit of a double-edged sword. Uh, girls can be more emotional than boys. And, uh, and how you deal uh, with an emotional breakout uh, you know, can affect, as a coach, uh, whether or not the girls enjoy playing for you or whether they hate you. Uh, and, uh, and so what you learn to do is just uh, be... be uh, Mindful of it, but not necessarily tolerant of emotional outbreaks, and and uh, and that 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 will happen. It's inevitable, and uh, and just just you know where whereby with uh, with guys uh, it can be viewed as a as a clear sign of weakness and and uh, and not particularly uh, powerful from a girl's standpoint. Uh, even the most determined and competitive competitively uh, intense. Uh, women's women uh, athletes will uh, will still have a tendency to have uh, you know some emotional uh, you know outbursts that uh, you know that you would find find completely out of character for a guy, but um, you know but don't treat it as abnormal when it comes to girls. Just accept it, and uh, you know you can kid around about it after it's over and such and such, but uh, but don't. Uh, you know, don't make it a big deal, and certainly don't try and treat it uh, in the same way that you would with a boy. One other one that you mentioned um, that I thought was interesting is the the social aspects of the game. If a girl likes or dislikes her teammate, um, so if a, if a girl dislikes her teammate, often often you'll find she can't play with her. She just doesn't want. In fact, um, yeah, I, I had an experience with. That. I won't get into it right now, but um, I've I've actually seen this firsthand where. Um, somebody got uninvited to play for a team because they had had a fight like 10 years ago. Um, so it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that, but did you want to expound on that? Well, the, uh, yeah, in, in, in boys hockey often, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if I hate, hate my line mates guts. If we play well together. a lot of goals, if we pop a lot of goals together, I want to play with them. Um, in, in, uh, girls hockey, that's, that's really not the case. And so as a coach, I've learned to try and connect more and to use captains, uh, to find out before I make a decision. 
the worst thing you can do as a coach is make a decision. I'm going to put these players together in a line because I think that their physical skills will complement each other only to find out that they just will not play with each other because they don't like each other. And, and, uh, and, and then when you try and, and get them to work together, uh, you know, then you, you sort of dig yourself a hole because it's pretty tough to undo the things that you're, uh, that you're leading to. So I try and find out what the social network is, is like, um, you know, within the team. And, and, and I'll tell you something is that when you get a really good environment uh, on a girl's team, it is pretty magical. When all the girls on the team, almost without exception, uh, like each other and enjoy each other, there's a synergy there that is, uh, th- that is second to none. Uh, I would guess but, that I would guess that probably goes deeper than than guys hockey would be. Yeah, I think it is. I think they're more loyal to each other. They stand up for each other more and better. Uh, it it you know we talk about hockey all often as a family. You know, as a as a boys team, we talk about the fraternity of of, of being the team. It, it is it is much much more uh, I, I think deeply rooted when you come to girls hockey. The loyalties that they that they feel for each other. What's your which opinion? Thing. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, which is a very positive thing. Absolutely. What's your opinion on uh, co-ed games? Uh, I think that in uh, many parts of the United States, in particular, that you really don't have much choice. That there is not enough. Uh, there aren't enough women hockey players or girl hockey players to have full-fledged teams at the younger age groups. And and uh, when the when the girls are are uh, at a very young age, let's call it from uh, age five through to twelve, or possibly even thirteen. Uh, I think that uh, that coed hockey is excellent for the young ladies. Uh, I think they they socially get along just fine with the boys. Uh, the boys don't really recognize that uh, you know at the younger ages that there are anatomical differences between the two. They're certainly not ready to uh, to start start feeling. Uh, uh, you know that those uh, that those differences uh, should make a difference uh, in how they play the game of hockey, and 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 often the the girls are every bit the physical equal uh, to the boys uh, up until the age of uh, you know certainly eleven and twelve. At age thirteen, boys start to uh, some of the 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 early developing boys start to hit their growth spurts, and so the physical differences become much more pronounced. But certainly up until about age twelve, I don't think that there's there's any reason why uh, why you cannot have an absolutely excellent uh, hockey experience uh, with uh, with co-ed girls and boys. What about afterwards? Uh, afterwards, I just I don't I don't like. Uh, girls playing with boys at all after certainly after about the age of 14 uh a lot of the girls on my hockey team <clears throat> and I coach the uh, the state travel team for the under 19s in Utah and uh, they uh uh oh probably 75% of the injuries that I had this year came from girls who were playing on their boys high school team and the the trouble uh with play, girls playing high school hockey is that uh uh, that boys are not socially very smart when they're, you know, 15, 16 years old. Uh, and their physical capabilities certainly far are far, far more advanced than their mental and social 
capabilities. And, uh, and, and there's nothing sadder than to see a 180-pound boy uh, decide that it's going to be really cool to pummel some 110-pound girl. And, and, and uh, you know, not only is that, you know, socially unacceptable and disgusting, but uh, I don't think that they stop and think that they could seriously injure um, a, a young lady who's playing hockey um, because of the physical differences. The other sad part about, about happening is that it is very, very embarrassing for a boy to get schooled uh, by a very talented women hockey player, a girl hockey player. And, uh, and when that happens, the only way that they can think of of getting even is uh, through body checking. And, and uh, again, all that does is, is uh, open the door uh, of opportunity for serious injuries with the girls. Um, socially, you know, obviously you have to segregate the, uh, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the locker rooms. And, and there, are, there are just differences that, that I think are uncomfortable uh, and uh, and as I, I you know as I've mentioned before that I've got four daughters who have gone through that process and and invariably at the end of the day the uh, the uncomfortable aspects of playing with the boys uh, starts to outshine the benefits of doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting though. I mean, we've we've come a long ways though since uh, since Jody, the my my sister that's closest to my age when we were. Um, I would have been six, seven and she, well, six turning seven and she would have been about five. And, uh, they, they didn't want to let her play in the, uh, in the house league because she was a girl. And, uh, you know, but at the time in Toronto, there wasn't a, there wasn't a girl's league until I can't remember what age, but it was well, older. 12. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my dad, this is, this is kind of a side story, but it's, it's, I think it's relevant, but he, uh, you know, he, he enrolled her. And uh, just let everybody think that it was Jody as a as a boy's name, right? And uh, it took a couple of weeks before they realized it was actually a little girl playing on this team, on this house team. And it was it it caused a big issue. They they tried to say she couldn't play. It ended up getting covered in the Toronto Star. And um, you know, I'm just kind of thinking back to how far it's come from those days um, to where it is now, and just you can see the women's game just flourishing. Um, you know, not just, well, obviously locally, but you know, when you watch the Olympics, it's a high caliber of play now. Whereas, you know, even, even when I was in high school or teenager, it it wasn't nearly as good as it is now. Um, so it's interesting to see though, but I, I do, I think I do, um, I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board with some of those, uh, opinions on, on co-ed games. Um, I guess to finish up, I, I had posted out a few, uh, you know, um, Facebook posts and, and Twitter stuff where people could ask questions. And so there's actually, a, there's a list of questions I have, but some of them will apply more to, um, you know, parts two and three. So the main one though, that you kind of already touched on, but I think you, as we were talking about this beforehand, you had some really good wisdom on this, but uh, I can't remember who asked this question, but it was one of the ones that came in on Facebook. But the biggest question for this, uh, for this coach was how do you manage the locker room while still giving players their privacy? Um, what I would, uh, what I would always do, uh, with, uh, as a male coach of a, of a girls hockey team is I would always have at least one assistant coach, uh, and, uh, and, and ideally one who, uh, who has played hockey herself so that she commands a, a level of respect from the players, 
but I would always have at least one assistant coach. And that assistant coach uh, is the one who really becomes the one who ensures that, uh, you know, that the environment in the locker room is a good one. And it doesn't mean that uh, she hangs out there, uh, you know, nonstop from when she gets to the rink until she leaves it. Uh, but but she goes in periodically and makes sure that uh, that there's no uh, inappropriate caddy behavior that's going on or anything of that nature. And and then most importantly, uh, we always uh, designate a start time when the coaches uh, will come in for the pregame chat. And uh, we will never uh, go and have male coaches go into the locker room, even if they knock on the door or whatever. Um, you know, we will never let them go in until one of the assistant coaches has has actually uh, gone in, uh, made sure that everybody is uh, is prepared, and then you can go in and have your time. Uh, so, so they need to be fully uh, fully prepared for the game. Uh, except for their helmets. And, uh, and so we go in, we have a 10 or 15 minute pregame uh, chat. After the game, exactly the same thing. Before anybody touches any tape or skates or, uh, or anything else, all they're permitted to do is basically take off their helmet. Uh, you have the postgame chat for 10 minutes and then when you leave, then they are, uh, you know, able to to uh, complete. So the trouble is, is that uh, that basically the he- the coaches don't go in until every single player is ready. So if you've got one or two stragglers who like to uh, to be slow getting ready, then you then you have to do a little bit of coaching to help them to uh, to stop that uh, part of their behavior because it's disruptive to the whole team. Um, but uh, but that has worked extremely well. Uh, for me and our team, and uh, there's never been an issue or a complaint about their privacy. So they've got plenty of time to do their their uh, routines and and uh, whatever pregame bonding that they do, which is uh, beneficial for them, uh, and uh, and without the coaches uh, interfering in that process. I like it. So have one female one female assistant coach, and she's the one that's going to be kind of the interface as the players are in the locker rooms getting changed. Um, all that stuff, and then just make sure no male coaches go in until everybody's decent. <laughs> yep. All right, man. Well, I think that about wraps it up for you know the main differences between guys and girls hockey. Um, I'm I'm very open to continuing this discussion. If you have any questions or comments or anything you want to add to this discussion, feel free to leave it in the comments um, as you're listening. But um, I think this is definitely has definitely been a good start to this. And what we're gonna do is uh, sign off now. Come back with part two next time, which, like I said before, is going to be the development process at the U12 level. Um, and then we'll go through that. And then part three will be the development process and strategy at the uh, U18 level. So once again, I appreciate it, Dad. Thanks for thanks for being on this. This is a, a ton of good stuff. Um, I definitely learned a lot. And, um, you know, if I ever have any daughters, so far I've got only three sons, right? If I, any, if, if I ever have any daughters, uh, I think I'll definitely be able to use a lot of this, um, a lot of this wisdom. But uh, that's it for uh, for this one, and we'll be back again on the next one with uh, the development process at, at the U12 level.